wanted to um, just share with you some verses this morning. Um, they're in the context of, of giving. You know, one of the things, if, if you've been um, visiting a Grace for a period of time, one of the subjects that we don't broach very often is the subject of giving. And as elders, it's because we believe that God's people give. But I think it is good every once in a while to be reminded as believers that everything that we have comes from the Lord. He's the giver. He gives to us, and it's our responsibility. Then I believe with joy to give back to the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being a cheerful giver. And as I was thinking about that, I um, thought, wow, we have a lot to be thankful for here at Grace. Um, you know, we had a, a project that went on for over a year, almost two. Um, this building itself that you're sitting in is paid for, which is a blessing from the Lord. We have an adjacent building that's a children's center that we still owe on. We believe the Lord's going to provide that through his people. But considering that the project was over $3 million and, and how much now we owe in, in relationship to that is amazing. Um, I mean, God just provides. And I think it's good to be reminded of that. Um, because I know there are some churches that emphasize giving almost every week, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I believe it's the spirit that, that, it, that's the mess of the message that's the issue. And we want you to know at Grace, we're not going to ever put pressure on you to give. Because we believe that's something between you and the Lord. Uh, that, and it's a form of worship, just in case you need to know that, which I think you need to know that. Um, it is a form of worship between us and the Lord. Uh, I had have had a few questions lately about um, the envelopes, and I wanted to make, make it clear to you guys um, how, how they work. Um, those of you who've been around for a while, you're like, why are you going over this? But some haven't been. So I want to make sure that everybody understands uh, on the envelope, there's a general fund, a mission fund, and special or designated giving. The first two are kind of self-explanatory. And, um, you know, there are general fund needs uh, to operate a church, as you know. And uh, that's quite a large uh, amount. And then you have mission fund, which is uh, here uh, for years we've gone off faith promise. Just over and above what we give. Just trusting the Lord for that extra amount. And then um, the special or the designated funds... Uh, a lot of them have been uh, the last couple of years toward the building. And uh, I just encourage you to just pray about what the Lord would have you do. As I was thinking about these three designations, all, you know, all giving's by faith. All of it is. So we can say, well, missions is faith promise. That's true. Building can be that too. But it's all faith. It's all faith in the Lord that he, he's the one that provides and and as he provides, we need to be faithful to give. And I wanted to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this section. Um, it's just a short section of, of Scripture. Um, just two verses. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a hilarious giver. And that is the word there. A hilarious giver. Can I just share a brief story with you? And I've, I've shared this before, but hey, our memories are not real good. Um, when I was in New York State, I was teaching a, a class on giving. And it wasn't just focused on money. It was, a lot of it was about giving just your life to the Lord. And um, they had a, a man in the class who came up to me uh, after the entire study was complete. And he said, Thad, you know, I'd really like to give to the Lord. And this is a man, he's married, he has four or five kids. And, and I said, well, that's great, you know. That's great that you want to give to the Lord. He said, but, you know, I compare myself to others. And I said, okay, I understand that. You know, I said, I, I do the same thing. He said, you know, when the plate goes around, he said, all I can put in is $5. That's all I got. I said, well, then give it. Give what the Lord has purposed for you to give. And he said, yeah, but you don't know what it's like sitting there and watching guys put 50s and 100s in. And I said, but it's your heart. That's what God's put on your heart to give. Well, by the time I left um, Berean, he was faithfully given. And he started out with five, and it just kept increasing. And one of the messages I taught him, I said, listen, you can never outgive the Lord. Never do that. And um, so I just encourage you that, that you would give your life, number one, to the Lord. And that that would just impact every area. Uh, from how you love your wife or your husband to your children and to how we view the unbeliever. They need the message of the gospel. So why don't we have a word of prayer and then um, we've got something special to do this morning, right? Father, we just want to thank you so much for the privilege of um, being able to give back to you. Um, you own it all. Um, I'll, as I think about that, I always think about the story of Dallas Seminary and the need that was there. And, uh, a rancher that walked in, and, and, and just at the right time, as you had purposed, Lord, he, he came into a room full of men that, that needed money for the seminary to go on, and, and they had been pr praying that you would sell the cattle, and you did. And you provided for that seminary, and it continued to function as it even does today. And so, Lord, we just thank you for those stories of life and um, just how you remind us. I know you do it in my life. You're always reminding me that you're the provider. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd remind us of that today. And as we have opportunities to give, Lord, um, of ourselves, that we would do that. And, Lord, that we recognize that it's just part of our worship. It's part of, um, Lord, number one, pleasing you. And um, I just pray that we would do that, that that would be our mind and our mindset uh, moving forward as, as a church here at Grace. And um, I just want to thank you for this morning, and I pray that your spirit would lead our time. And um, as we worship through song, as we look uh, to, today at your word, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and would guide us. And um, Lord, that maybe if there's one in here that doesn't know you today, it could be the day of salvation. And um, we just commit our time to you, and we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for being um, just a wonderful God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you can be seated. Uh, this morning, um, we have something special that we want to do. And um, Dean Self approached me a few days ago, and I, I'm going to let him give you the announcement, um, let it be his, but Dean has a, a special announcement that he would like to make this morning.
I wanted to say that uh, I, I became a Christian in 1965, and one thing that I did uh, start doing that someone suggested that I do was uh, tithe. And uh, at, at that particular time, I was a teenage boy pumping gas at a, at a gas station. And uh, I began to give my uh, tithe, and I've given it for over 50 years now, and uh, the Lord has always been faithful to us, and we've always had enough uh, now, God's not going to make you rich uh, mm-hmm. or anything, but you're always going to have enough. God said he had always meet your needs and your supplies. That has nothing to do with what I'm doing, uh, what I'm doing though. But 14 years ago, serious, uh, uh, seriously, I began to do a project. It really started out when we were in Bolivia. We, uh, for you that don't know, we uh, were missionaries in Bolivia for 20 years. And, um, and then spent some time in Colombia and other uh, Central American countries. And uh, uh, we work with Hispanics uh, in the state of Alabama. There's a, there's a half a million uh, Hispanics in the state of Alabama, so there's plenty of work to do. Uh, but uh, 14 years ago in, in Syria, uh, I, I started in, uh, seriously doing this, but it started out with five uh, Bolivian pastors came to me one day and said, uh, uh, Hermano Dino, we don't know that we're actually preaching the gospel. Uh, and I go, what do you mean? I've heard you a thousand times and y'all preach well. Y'all do really good in, in that. And they said, yeah, but we realize that the Bible is inspired in the original languages, in Greek and Hebrew, not in English or Spanish. And we don't really know whether that English or, or that, they said that Spanish word actually means what it does in the original Greek. And I go, oh, okay, well, good. What, uh, what's the thing? What you going to do? And they, they said, well, we want somebody to take every Greek word in the New Testament and give a definition of the Greek word and the definition of what it means so we'll know that we're doing, we're preaching the gospel, the pure gospel. And I said, well, great. What do you, who you, what, how are you going to do that? And they said, well, we don't know. We've never taken Greek. We don't know anybody that has taken Greek except for you. And I said, hey, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I'm a farm boy from Clay, Alabama. I, you know, I hated Greek when I had to take it. I, I, I despise it. And they said, you're the only one. And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I thought I'd get them off of my shoulders by saying, I'll, I'll do that with all of the words in 3 John, because there's only 17 verses. And <laughs> I thought I'd encourage somebody to do you know, something else or they can find somebody else. So when I presented it to them, they said, that's exactly what we need. And the thing is, is, the Hispanic people don't have things like vines, uh, vines and uh, all of the concordances and all those kind of things to look up those words and know what they mean. And uh, uh, they still don't today. And so uh, uh, what the Lord led me to do is to start doing that with all of the New Testament. Well, after uh, doing this for 14 years, I finally finished the New Testament uh, doing it. And these, these are the books that they're in. 
And uh, they, they, I just took them a couple of, you know, first and second uh, Corinthians, first and second uh, Timothy, and just, just kept working on it and working on it. I thought I'd die before I ever got to the end of it, but uh, the Lord was gracious and we got through. So, But what I would like to do is now that I just finished the book of Mark here this last one a uh, couple of weeks or a month or two ago, and uh, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask the elders if they could dedicate this, these, this work uh, because this goes out to over 100 uh, Hispanic pastors all over the Hispanic world, goes to Spain, goes to other places, uh, and to all of our Bible seminaries. And so these books will be a, a, a great reference for the people there. So uh, I'd like to ask the, the uh, elders if they'd come and uh, lay hands on these, this work so that uh, the Lord would be honored with it. And if anybody would like to look at it, I'll put it out in the, in the front. If you, it's in Spanish, so you may not. <laughs> <laughs> Can y'all lay your hands on it? Absolutely. Okay. Come on. You want me to speak soft in <laughs> I'm going to ask Eddie Bradley if he would to, to pray over this, these words. Father, as always, we're grateful for who you are, uh, your holiness, uh, your justice, your peace, your mercy. And, Lord, that's all revealed to us through your word. And we thank you for that constantly. We want to pray over these uh, resources that have uh, been completed now to aid our brothers uh, of the uh, Hispanics-speaking persuasion uh, in their studies and in their ministries of your word. We pray that they'll be used to uh, further the revelation of you uh, through the scripture, and particularly that... Uh, as we were told that uh, those pastors who are preaching the gospel will have a confident, clear understanding of what your word says about it. That Jesus came according to the scriptures and died and was resurrected again according to the scriptures for us to make payment for our sin and to offer access to God through grace, through faith in the work of Jesus. Uh, Thank you for this work. Thank you for the, uh, uh, supplying the energy and the resources needed for it to be accomplished. We pray that it will be multiplied and sent out through the world to further the gospel and further your kingdom. We look forward to the time you come back, Lord, and that those who uh, have learned of you, possibly through uh, some of this effort, uh, will all raise praise and glory to you and give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, guys. You, are you glad to be here this morning? It is good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping together, um, and to just get our hearts and our minds centered around the Lord this morning. I'll be reading from Psalm 66. And um, I'm just going to read that now. It says, Shout for joy to God. All the earth, sing the glory of his name, and give to him glorious praise. 
say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So this morning, we do not come with fattened animals as burnt offerings, right? We come with the very lives that he's purchased through his son. So with that, let's all stand up and worship the King of Kings together. <laughs> Blessed be your name in the land that plentiful where your streams of abundance flow blessed be your name blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place though I walk through the wilderness blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Blessed be your name. Jesus. 
Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory. Wow. 
Our God is so great. Praise the Lord. Guys, we're going to sing this simple chorus, and you'll know it. I just ask that you would close your eyes. Lift your hands if you want and just sing to our great God. How great is our God. Sing with me. Wow, what's heaven going to be like? I mean, that was tremendous. Guys, we appreciate that so much. I want to begin this morning by, say I by saying I appreciate those that labor among us with children. Wednesday night, we have Awana here at the church. Might I say these children, these lovely children have a lot of energy, a lot of energy, and I can say that um, 
the adults need more energy. So they would love to be on your prayer list to pray for more energy because these kids have it. And you know, every Wednesday night when we have Awana, I mean, there'll be seasons where you'll be like, man, this is tough as an adult. And then one of the kids will come up to you and share something about what God's doing in their life or a verse, and you're like, yep, it's worth it. And um, so, hey, commercial for Awana. You want to be involved where there's high energy? Kind of like where, the way it was when we first started out this morning when you guys were just chatty, chatty, chatty. Uh, you come Wednesday nights and you can experience that. You don't even have to take my word for it. You can come be a part of that. Um, it is a tremendous ministry. We need to pray for our kids as they're exposed to the gospel. Because you know, when kids leave the home and they go out on their own, it becomes more difficult um, to witness to them. And so you uh, pray for our children here at Grace. All right, well, take your Bibles and go to Second Peter in the third chapter, Second Peter chapter 3. And I want you to, to do something. I don't ask this often, but I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to consider where your relationship or your fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Number one, do you have a relationship with him? And if you do, how's that fellowship? How's that day in and day out walk with the Lord? Now, I want to express it to you like Peter would say. As he's talking to his audience, he would say, Wow! Because you know these things are true, live like this. How could you do anything different, <laughs> right? I mean, he's just expressing with like this excitement, this joy. Hey, he's coming. Judgment is coming. The new heavens and earth are coming. And because you know all of this, live like it. thought a few times in my life that I wonder how many believers are really not looking forward to the return of Christ. That sounds kind of weird to say. But it's almost like, Lord, I really want to do this and this and this and this and this before you come. You know what, guys? The Lord won't be late. He'll be right on time. Um, Peter in defending the coming of Christ and the fact that he had not come yet um, gives some things that I think are important for us to understand in this text. He gives really two defenses as it relates to that. One is time and the other is patience. Look at verse 8. He deals with time first in regard to the coming of the Lord because remember these scoffers are like, yeah, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. Everything's continued as it has been, and there's been no sign of any interruption by God. And Peter's like, hey, yeah, there has been. There's been creation, and there's been the flood. But then he defends it in verse 8 from the perspective of time. Look what he says. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Now, that sounds very nice, doesn't it? Um, in the original language, do you know how it really reads? 
Stop allowing this truth to be hidden from you. In other words, remember something. Now, what does he want them to remember? Well, he wants them to remember Psalm 90, what Moses said. In Psalm 90, that's what he wants them to remember. He wants them to remember this truth that's given to them about the eternality of the Lord. And so he takes them back, it should have been, in their minds to Psalm 90. So I want you to go back there with me to Psalm 90. I want to show you this. Psalm 90. Peter makes the statement that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And so his point is, listen, in reference to time and how God views time, uh, it's not been very long since he made the promise that he was coming. In Psalm 90, we get this picture here of God in relationship to man and the eternality of God and the short life of man. Verse 1 says in Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, look what he says, this next part, even from what? Everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I can't fathom that. You ever thought about that, that he has always been? You can't grasp that. If you could, you'd be God. You can't. I can't grasp it. But the Bible tells us he is from everlasting to everlasting. Um, verse 3, you turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. And then here it is. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. It's like that. It's a blip on the radar. In terms of God and his eternality, thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. And then he compares the eternality of the Lord with the short life of man. Look down in verse um, number uh, 9. Verse number 9. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. How many of you are 70? Hmm. Isn't that great? You're going to like this next verse. This next part of the verse, right? He says, for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. You're like, whoa, I've already reached that. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Isn't that awesome? Any of you 80? Wow. All right. So you look at it and you go, man, if you have strength, you're living to 80 years. But in, but in comparison, right? You have the eternality of God in comparison to man's life. Man, 70 and 80 years, as God views 70 or 80 years, how long is that? Man, it's that long. And so Peter's defending, in defending the coming of Christ and the delay of his coming, he says, listen, God sees, as Wayne Barber puts it, God sees time against eternity. What seems like a long time to man is but a very short time to the Lord. And so Peter's like, hey, look, he's coming. We don't know when he's coming, but we can say this, that he's going to be on time. And Peter did not want them to forget this point that was made in Psalm 90 concerning uh, the eternality of the Lord. Um, 
I remember when I was a boy, I used to lay on my pillow and think about, man, how has God always been? Did you ever ask your parents that when you were a kid? Man, Lord, how, I mean, how has he always been? But Peter says in arguing for the coming of the Lord, he said, listen, don't forget this point, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now some have taken this verse, and they've said, well, hold on a second. If one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day, what about the millennial kingdom? Is there really, literally a thousand years? Well, you know that in grammar, what Peter's doing here, he's given us a simile, right? You remember that, studying that in school? He's used the word like here in verse 8, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. But if you go to the book of Revelation, my friends, listen, I got good news for you. He does not use that word like um, in referencing the coming of the kingdom of the Lord. In fact, it says in Revelation chapter 4, or chapter 20, verse 4, he says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. Listen to this. And had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And next verse, he uses the little word, the, the article. He says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the, the thousand years. Until the thousand years were completed. And so he uses the article there to distinguish the fact that there will be a literal reign. Of a thousand years, will Christ will rule and reign on the earth. And I pointed that out to you because I don't want you to get confused in terms of what Peter's saying here in relationship to time and then what uh, we have recorded in the book of Revelation about the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a literal thousand years. So what seems like a long time to man is to the Lord very short. And so that's what Peter's argument is in verse 8. And so he says, the coming of the Lord, I'm going to defend it in relationship to time. But then he also defends the coming of the Lord in the, patient, uh, in the coming of the Lord in relationship to patience. Notice verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Now notice that little, prepos- uh, that little uh, word, you, there. You there is referencing the believers. He says, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, his promise to come, as comes as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Um, we can say that. The Lord's been patient toward us. If we're in Christ today, we could say that. That could be our testimony. Lord, you've been patient toward me. But notice Peter carries that statement further in verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Now notice this next little phrase. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I think it's very important to note that the word patient, I put it there uh, for you, I'm sorry, in your notes. The word patient here emphasizes the Lord's continued mercy. Right? That he continually shows mercy. He has, he does today, and will continue to. Um, John Walford uh, points out 
in this text that Peter is not expressing a decree as if God has willed everyone to be saved. Um, we know that's not going to take place. Um, we know that because the Bible tells us what the road is wide that leads to destruction and narrow that leads to life. And so we have to deal with that little phrase, though, because there are several uh, views about that, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Well, he's not talking about universalism because not everybody's going to come to Christ. Okay? So we can eliminate that. The Bible does not teach that. There's two other views to this uh, particular text in verse 9, and it's a difficult text. Um, we know that the word you here refers to the believers. But what do you do with the word any and with the word all? Well, with the word all, I've always said all is all. That word any, though, does it refer back to you, to the ones who are believers, or does it refer to the world in general? Um, the key to understanding that, I believe, is the word not wishing. Um, and so I did a word study on that so that you guys could hopefully be on the same page. Now, understand there's differences. Some believe that when Peter uses the, the word any and the word all, he's referring to the elect only. Um, but I think that if you do the word study on the word, or the phrase not wishing, you might come to a different point of view. Um, in Wayne Barber's commentary on Second um, Peter, he writes this about the phrase not wishing. He says, note that not wishing does not refer to, ultimate, to the ultimate determining will of God, but rather to his standing wish or desire for mankind. Now, there is a distinction. There's, in the Greek language, I know this is technical, but um, in case somebody approaches you, um, there's a difference between the word bulimai, which is used here, and the word thalo. Um, and so that's what, Peter is, or that's what Peter's using here. He's using the word bulimai. And the argument is, you know, is it the God's decreed will, or is it referring to God's standing wish or desire for mankind? Um, he goes on to write, Bulamai has reference to God's disposition or his nature rather than to a specific act or plan. It is not God's considered will that any should perish. All right, and that's what Peter's pointing out here. It's not God's considered will that any would perish, but that all would come to what? To repentance. And that word repentance means to turn. It means to turn to God and do what? Place their faith in Christ. But we know, listen, because we witness. We're out there witnessing to folks. We know when we share the gospel, listen, not everyone's going to respond, are they? In fact, many in our family don't. Many of our friends don't. Uh, one of the, I think one of the greatest passages in understanding kind of what we should do as believers is the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, who caused the growth? God did. And sometimes, and this is just my opinion, sometimes I think in theological circles we're arguing about sovereignty and free will and we're not witnessing, maybe. Um, I believe God's sovereign. I believe that God chose me, as the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. I believe that. But when I was seven years old, you know what I knew? I knew that I was a sinner... I was convicted of my sin, and I needed a Savior, and the Savior was Jesus Christ. And so when I walked out of that door, 
on the front of my shirt, it was, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And on the back of that shirt, it was, I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Guys, this is uh, one of those verses like, ooh, way up there. Um, he goes on to write this. He says, it is not God's considered will that any should perish. And then he goes on to write the, uh, this. While God is always willing to save man, man is not always willing to be saved. <laughs> right? And that's true. I mean, and when I read that, I was like, yeah. The road's wide that leads to destruction, narrow that leads to life. Listen, if salvation was in our control, you know what we'd do? We would drag people to the altar, wouldn't we? But it's not. You and I can't save anyone. The Lord is the one that saves. Um, you know, five-point Calvinists don't even witness. I'm like, hey, hold on a second. My responsibility is to witness. Yeah, I have that responsibility. Balancing out the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and man's free will, whew, that's a tough subject, isn't it? But the Bible tells us here in 2 Peter that it is the desire of God that all come to repentance, but we know that not all will. So he writes this. He says, don't be confused by this section. God's wishing here does not express a decree or determining will, is as if God has willed everyone to be saved. But do you know that there are people out there who have that viewpoint? Might I name one? His name is Rob Bell. And he has that viewpoint that everyone is going to end up in heaven. And listen to me, guys. I want everyone in here to end up in heaven. But I don't control that. I don't control that. And my responsibility is to what? Is to witness. It's to proclaim the gospel. Just as Dean brought those books up here and he laid it out 14 years, that's a long time. I guarantee you this, at the heart of Dean's self, is he wants everyone who studies that, whether they're a pastor or not, to come to an understanding that Jesus Christ died for their sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that he died for them. Well, Peter argues from two perspectives on the coming of the Lord or his delay. He argues from the perspective of time and the, from the perspective of patience. You know, as you read the text, though, you can't divorce verses 8 and 9 from verse 10 because they're in the context. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why is the Lord so patient? I mean, we can illustrate the patience of the Lord in the Old Testament. Noah built a what? He was a preacher of... How many got on that ark? How many got on that ark? Eight. Eight. You know, I was thinking about that this last week, and I'm like, man, Lord, you are patient. But it doesn't seem like man responds a whole lot to your patience. In fact, if you go to the end of the millennial kingdom, after the thousand year reign of Christ at the conclusion of the kingdom, do you know what happens? There's a rebellion against the Lord, the Lord of mercy. And you know what the Bible says? 
that the number of those people are, are as the sands of the seashore. <laughs> as I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for grace. And I'm thankful that I'm saved. And I have the responsibility, just as you do, to witness to those who don't know the Lord. And so, in the context of this passage, you have to ask the question, why is the Lord so patient? And the answer is, because he's coming, and when he comes, what else comes? Say that J word. Judgment. Not many people like that J word. Judgment. Um... I just want to remind you of some of the judgments. I love this little pointer thing. Um, so the next event on the calendar of the Lord is the rapture. And then there'll be the judgment seat of Christ. And notice who that's for. Believers. All right? Those in Christ, the church, will be judged at that point. Um... And the great part is that we won't be judged to condemnation. And you know what happens? This is what happens with people. Oh, hallelujah, I won't be judged to condemnation. I can live like I want to live. That's why Peter is saying what he's saying in 2 Peter. He's like, hey, look, in fact, do you know what's coming? Yeah, hey, because this is coming, you need to live this way. Because we've been bought with a price. Well, so you have that judgment. And then you have this time on earth that's the seven-year tribulation period. The last three and a half years are marked by wrath. You have all these judgments. And if you want to read, like do some reading this afternoon, right, uh, do that. Read that. Read chapter 6 through 18. Whew, a lot of judgment going on. Um, and then at the end of the um, tribulation period, the Lord comes back to earth, but there is a time of judgment there at the Battle of Armageddon. You remember last week we mentioned that? That the birds are going to gather in the midheaven, right? And they're going to come and feast on what? Kings and commanders, right? Um, and then you have the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And then at the end of that, we looked last week together, there's a time of judgment there, right? Where um, Peter refers to the fire and to the... John refers to the fleeing away of heavens and earth. But then you have the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. And who's that judgment for? For unbelievers. Um, can I remind you of something? I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this this week because we did last week. But do you know that there's judgment today? You know, I think a lot of times people think about judgment in the past and judgment in the future but you know, the Lord judges his church. Can I remind you of that? Um, I'm glad you're going to let me. Go back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This is a great illustration and reminder. And so is 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to go there this morning. Great reminder that the Lord... Listen. The Lord judges... And our life lived for him is serious. It's serious. Listen to this. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property 
to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and lay the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So the apostles were overseeing this distribution. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a good example of a believer who did exactly that, what he was to do. But then you have chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now notice verse 2. And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. Uh-oh. And bringing a portion of it. What did Barnabas do? He brought all of it, right? Bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men. I think this is one of the most difficult verses to swallow. But we need to swallow it. You have not lied to men, but to who? God. Mm. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. Man. And great fear came over all who heard of it. It would, wouldn't it? And the young men got up and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval in about, of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Wow, what, what must that have been like? And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And notice the response. Great fear came over who? The whole church. And over all who heard these things. Twice in this passage we see the word fear. And fear is in relationship to the Lord. You think the church fears the Lord enough today? You can answer. Why do you think that is? I'm talking about the church, believers. Why? Any ideas? Huh? Huh? Yeah, grace. Yeah. Does the Lord care about how I live my life? Answer, yes. He cares very much how I live the life that he's given me. Um, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We won't turn there, but in that context is the Lord's Supper. 
And these guys weren't sharing with one another. And they were getting drunk. And the Bible says some were sick. Right? Some were weak. And some were dead. The Lord, listen to me, the Lord takes our lives and living for Him seriously. Being under submission to Him. Um, years ago, I was aware of a church that had a pastor on staff. You know, some stories are kind of unexplainable. You just like, I don't know what happened. But it was kind of curious to me. He had put himself under the um, direction and leadership of the elders of his church. And he wanted to go out and start another church. And so under their authority, under their umbrella. And so he goes out and he starts this church. And there was an understanding that for one year he would be under the authority of those elders. Within six weeks, he told them he didn't need them anymore. He said, I'm going to do my own thing. Six months later, he was diagnosed with cancer. Six months later, he was dead. Now, I don't know. That's just a different story to me. I go, wow. Some stories are unexplainable. You just go, okay, that's interesting, isn't it? That one minute he's putting himself under the authority of the elders and the Lord, and the second minute he's going, nah, I'm not about that. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Well, judgment is not only in the future and in the past, but it also, guys, it's now. Um, we move from the judgment of the Lord to the patience of the Lord. Look back in Second uh, Peter. I want to show you this. Second Peter, chapter three. We go from the judgment of the Lord to the people of the Lord. The judgment of the Lord is mentioned in verses ten and verse twelve. Right? He says, verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come. This judgment will come, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Now remember last week I told you that the coming of the day of God refers to the eternal state. He used the phrase day of the Lord, but that's, this is not the day of the Lord he's talking about in verse 12. He's talking about the eternal state. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. But you see the judgment there. And then, which leads us to this third point, the people of the Lord. Um, look at verse 11. How are the people of the Lord to live? Notice verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. So he describes this destruction on the front half in verse 10, on the back half in verse 12, and then in verse 7. He describes the destruction that's coming, and he's going, hey, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Notice this is not a question. There's no question there. <laughs> it's an exclamation. He's saying, what sort of people ought you to be? Hey, you know this is coming. You ought to be this way. What way? Well, notice verse 11. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Um, 
There's two words that we need to highlight here. The word in verse 11, holy conduct and godliness. Now, holy conduct refers to the behavior of the believer. Um, it refers to, um, the word holy refers to being set apart or being separate. Um, the believers to be set apart in their behavior, an issue that was certainly addressed by Peter in 1 Peter. Um, I put this, I wrote this down in my notes because everything will be destroyed. The mindset of the believer should be a view toward eternal things. So how's that going for us, right? That's the challenge there in the verse. Um, I want you to go back with me to 1 Peter, so you don't have to flip too far. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter here reminds these believers of their behavior. All right, so Peter deals with their behavior first. And he emphasizes this holy conduct, <laughs> um, which he speaks about in 1 Peter. A great deal, as a matter of fact. In the context of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter has just explained clearly their salvation, right? what they had. This is what you have. Uh, even, he says, angels long to understand, but this is what you have. And knowing what you have, he says, verse 13, this is how you need to live. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then notice what he says. As obedient children. You know what that word obedient, the picture of, of that word is this. One who listens and submits. <laughs> as obedient children. As those who listen to what the Lord wants and those who submit. Now think about your children, right? Aren't they just obedient little guys and girls? They listen to what you say and they always submit to it, don't they? Amen? Answer, no, they don't. They're rebellious. You know what, guys? We don't always listen to the Lord. And there's sometimes in our lives when we are rebellious. Peter reminds me, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. Do not be molded, is the idea, to the former lust. All right? To those things, he says, which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, before you were born again, before your new life in Christ, he says, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, he says, be holy yourselves also in what? All your behavior. Notice that little word there. He says, be holy yourselves in all. Circle that word, all your behavior. Man, it's 11.41. Um, I wrote down this, that behavior issue involves at least three things we need to consider. The things that we say, could we agree on that? The things that we do and our thoughts. Rut row. 
Let's deal with all three of them for just a minute. Our thoughts first. How many thoughts have you had since I started speaking? What if there was like this thing where they could be read? Like you could just see those thoughts. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> Boy, I'm sure glad we can't do that, right? But our thoughts. So if, if I'm to be holy in all my behavior, and that regards my thoughts, and it does, then I need to kind of take Paul's word and go, the things Paul wrote about the mind and, and really let those sink in. You remember what he wrote in Colossians chapter 3? Set your what? Mind on the things on the earth. Set your mind on the things above. Where Christ is. We have a hard enough time paying attention for 35 or 40 minutes. And so that verse, taking every thought captive, comes to mind. Lord, everything... And, 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 and life is, it's, it's like this, you're speeding through life, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I need to have pure thoughts... Because remember, Peter, in addressing him, says all your behavior. So your thoughts. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is. So I need to be thinking about eternal things. You say, that, that's impossible to do. I would argue that it can be done with the help of the Lord. Do you know the best times that I have as a believer is when I'm constantly putting this book in my mind? I don't know about you. And you know what I found? There's no replacement. That's it. You want a holy mind? Study God's word. You want a holy mind? Memorize scripture. Well, you got your thoughts and then you got your words. Oh, no. Can I take you someplace real quick? Because we're, we're going to have to end here. Um, go with me back to the book of James. I thought I would get through the whole thing today. Go down to James, James 1 verse 19. I'm not even going to go to chapter 3 because we'll be after lunch before I get done with that. But I want to show you this. Notice what he says. This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to do what? Here. How many ears do you have? Class? Two. That's right, two. Quick to hear, slow to what? Mm. One of the prayer requests that I had last year, it was kind of one of those things that the first of the year came up, and I'm like, and I have a, 
couple of accountability partners, and one of the things that I was talking with this one about was I was praying that the Lord would help me be slow to speak. It works out well sometimes. It doesn't always work out well. But he said, says here, slow to speak, slow to what? Slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So we have the words. You know, Paul addresses the issue of words in chapter 4, verse 29, in talking about the new man. You know what he says? As believers in Christ, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Mm. But only such a word that is good for what? Necessary edification. That word unwholesome, you know what that word picture is in the Greek? Of something that is rotten. You ever search for a potato? That might sound weird. There was an odor in my house one day, and it was just like this major stench. And, and I didn't know that, that there were potatoes hanging out underneath one of the cabinets that were rotten. But have you ever smelled rotten potatoes? Woo, they have a stench to them. Well, I could not figure it out. And I don't know if you're like me. When something stinks, I want to find out where it's coming from. And in those moments, guess what I'm not? Real patient. I want to find it. I'm on a quest. I want to find what in the world is stinking up this house. And I remember walking through the kitchen, first time I ever found a rotten potato, and I'm looking through everything. There's a dead animal somewhere. And I open the cabinet, and there's a five-pound bag of potatoes. And there's a few of them that are out of there. But I'm like, no, it's not potatoes. And I got my nose down there. Guess what it was? It was potatoes. They stunk. And they stunk bad. And that's the picture. Don't let anything rotten come out of your mouth. So we have thoughts, we have words, and we have what? Actions. What we do. Lord, help us to glorify you in everything we do. Let's pray together. Lord, I was hoping to be able to get through all of it, but that wasn't your plan. And um, I was thinking as, as Peter's arguing for the delay of your coming, as man saw it, these scoffers were even saying, hey, he's not coming. And so Peter wants to encourage these guys. He wants to encourage their hearts. And so he defends the coming of the Lord and he talks about time. And he talks about the patience of the Lord. But then he says, hey, that patience is there because the day of the Lord's coming. Judgment is around the corner as God sees time. 
It's coming. We have but a brief life here on earth. But there is one thing that we all have in common in this room. For sure. We're all going to live eternally somewhere. The Bible says that those who reject the Lord Jesus will be, as we looked last week in 2 Thessalonians 1, they will forever be away from the face of the Lord. And Lord, my heart is that no one in this room would forever be away from your presence. But in contrast to that, for the believer, the Bible tells us we're forever going to be with you. Seeing you face to face in all your glory. And so knowing that these things are true, my prayer is twofold. Number one, that if there's one or two or 22, I don't know how many in this room may not know you, that, that Lord, they would understand today, that you would open their eyes, the scales would be removed, and they would be able to see the need that they have for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then for those of us who know what's coming, I pray we'd live like it. I pray that we would live to your glory. And Lord, we can do that with the help of your Spirit. And so I pray that for all of us that are in Christ today. Please, Lord, help us to be dependent on your Spirit each day. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand as we close. And um, the song is certainly one of, one of my favorites. The song, One Day, the, the chorus just has it all. Uh, everything that Christ did for us, living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away, rising, he justified freely forever, and one day he's coming. That is the gospel. That's the gospel that we cling to for our salvation, and it's the gospel that we carry out into a lost and dying world. And I just want to say this. Our motivation for witnessing should be and is the same whether you are an Arminian or whether you are a four-point Calvinist or whether you are a five-point Calvinist or whether you are anywhere in between. The motivation to witness is because the Lord Jesus Christ commanded it. And if he can come like this song says and live and die for me, surely I can live for him and proclaim his gospel. So let's all lift our voices this morning as we proclaim what God has done for us. Jesus came forth to be
Growing up in Louisiana, we had uh, every summer um, five-day clubs, and um, as I was singing that, I was thinking about, for some reason, the Lord put my, the neighborhood I lived in on my mind, and I think I know why. As Joe was talking, I'm like, um, Louisiana is a heavily Roman Catholic area. I mean heavily. And um, it was hard to find Protestant friends. <laughs> Um, but every summer we had five-day club. And do you know what was um, consistent in the five-day club? The gospel. We shared the gospel. I'm not sure how many kids responded, except one I knew of. And I'll never forget it. Um, he, his name was Greg David. It was spelled David, but it was pronounced David. Everything down there is pronounced different. Um, but I remember sharing with Greg about what happened to me. And I remember other adults sharing with Greg. And I remember Greg giving his life to the Lord. And um, I would just piggyback off of what Joe says I just think we should witness you know that's what the Bible says we're to do and it's interesting that the last part of, of Matthew what does Jesus tell his disciples to do go make disciples what does he tell them to do in Acts 1 how's it recorded go be my martyrs how about that and so yeah we don't know what we're going to face and the resistance that's going to be there. Just like there was in Peter's day. But you know what, guys? The Lord's going to go before you. And the tool that we all have is this book. Let's be faithful to witness. Lord, um, thank you for the memories you give us. I thank you for the faithfulness of my parents then to, to witness and I thank you for the kids who came and I don't know how many of them got saved I know of one but Lord I'm thankful for that one and um, I just pray Lord that you would help us to be encouraged as we go out that your word tells us that there's planting and there's watering but you cause the growth and so I pray that we wouldn't feel that pressure to try to save someone because we can't do it but that we would faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch you work because it's amazing how you do and all of us that are in this room who are saved can say wow it was amazing because I was walking down the road of rebellion I was in darkness and you stopped me and you saved me and so I just pray that you would help us to remember our salvation today and the opportunities that you put before us, I pray we would be faithful to walk through those doors. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.